Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. In this special episode, we sat down with Dr. Robert Atkinson, president of the Information Technology and Innovation Foundation. He compares how nations are doing in terms of global market share in the Hamilton Index, assessing national performance in the competition for advanced industry. How has the Chinese regime gained such a leap over the past quarter century? And how is that impacting America? Let's dive in. Dr. Atkinson, thank you so much for joining us today. Great to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. So just this week, a group of bipartisan lawmakers is really pushing Congress to screen investment into China, especially in key sectors. And your foundation just came out with a report kind of comparing how nations are doing in terms of technology and other production. So to begin with, how are the U.S. and China faring? China's doing very well. The U.S. is going down, let's put it that way. Uh, the U.S. used to be dominant, and now we, we actually estimate, even though the data we could get was from 2018, that was the latest, we estimate that today China is outproducing the United States in advanced industries. Um, these are industries you can imagine, like computers and semiconductors, machinery, automobiles, drugs. When you put that, put all those together, those seven industries, um, China went from about 4% of global production in um, 1995, and now they're about 22, 23% of global production. So a phenomenal story. The U.S. has lost share, and we actually are, these industries make up a smaller share of our economy now than they do in China. And so what led to China's kind of gain and the U.S.'s loss? Uh, a simple way to put it for China would be that they decided to engage in a whole set of unfair practices, uh, massive subsidies, manipulation of their currency to keep the price down, uh, forcing foreign companies to transfer technology that then goes to the domestic Chinese companies. So a whole suite of things that gave them an unfair leg up. Um, for the United States, the answer is that we just didn't do anything. We, uh, too many economists in the United States like to say, uh, agree with the phrase, potato chips, computer chips, what's the difference? Uh, in other words, it doesn't really make any difference whether we have a strong semiconductor industry or a strong machine tool industry. Doesn't matter. doesn't matter. And because so many people, so many economists in particular and policymakers who listen to them believe that it doesn't matter, we've lost global market share there. China, it matters to China. They're, they've set their sights on dominating these industries by the year 2025. Um, so we'll see. And Dr. Atkinson, neoliberalism has argued that global trade and cooperation between countries, especially in tech, is a win-win situation. But when it comes to China, it seems that when China wins, the U.S. loses. So why is that? As they say, it, it works in theory, but does it work in practice? No, it doesn't, um, because China is not playing by the rules. They're not a normal economy. So when Ricardo, uh, David Ricardo, wrote about trade back in the 1820s, and that's where everybody is thinking, they're thinking in terms of Ricardo, this notion of comparative advantage. You know, China's good at uh, solar panels, and we're good at semiconductors. Problem is, China wants to be good at everything. 
and China is using a strategy to dominate every single sector. Aerospace is a really good example. There is simply no way that China would have a domestic aerospace industry uh, without government involvement. Right now, there's two major airline companies, uh, Airbus and Boeing. Not going to be a third. It's too hard an industry. It's really, really complicated. And yet China is pouring hundreds of billions of dollars into their state-owned enterprise called COMAC to build what they're building as a C919 that, you know, within a certain period of years will mean that no more Boeing or Airbus planes are going to be sold in China. That's not fair trade. That's not free trade. So if we were competing, like, for example, when we compete against Canada or Germany, yeah, it's pretty much win-win. We do some good things and trade those and import other things. China is just not in that category. And Dr. Atkinson, it seems when it comes to China, right, politics reign supreme in anything. And so in doing business particularly, say China kind of has politics first, but free markets go on the principles of trust and credibility. So how would you manage those two in this situation? Well, I'll give you an example. If you if you cross the Chinese Communist Party, you're a company, let's say, and you do something they don't like, um, and let's say you do something in the U.S. that the government doesn't like, government can't do anything to you, and they won't do anything to you. They might not like it, but they can't do anything to you unless you break the law. In China, you don't have to break the law for the government to go after you, and the Chinese government does go after you. They'll, they'll conduct raids at six in the morning. They'll put executives of, of, of American companies in, almost in detention uh, just because they don't like what they did, and they're, they're, excuse me, they're using the government to force these companies to do what the Chinese government wants. Ultimately, there's really nothing we can do about that. Um, we can't change what China's doing. They're going to keep doing it. What we can do is we can keep them from benefiting from it as much. So, for example, one of the things that the Trump administration did was to say um, that certain exports from China that are based upon intellectual property theft, where they've stolen U.S. intellectual property, we're going to put big tariffs on those. So we can make it harder for China to profit from its um, uh, if you will, economic predation or predatory practices. Uh, I don't believe we can stop the Chinese government itself. They seem pretty uh, hell-bound and determined to go down this path. Uh, the only thing we can do with our allies is to make it harder for them to profit by those kinds of practices. And so on the current standing, how would you describe the U.S.-China trade relationship as it currently stands? Well, one of the things I think a lot of people have made a mistake on is they say, well, uh, the U.S., and particularly President Trump, started the trade war. Uh, that's not really true at all. It's as if you're in a, a shooting war and someone has been lobbing bombs at you for 15 years, and then you decide, oh, I better lob a bomb back, and then you get called for starting the war. Uh, what Trump did was just simply recognize that China has been playing not by the rules. They've been stealing intellectual property, forced tech transfer. I mean, you name it, cyber theft. It's not playing by the rules. China has declared war on the U.S. economy uh, for really 20 years. And what the Trump administration did was acknowledge that and say, we're not going to stand for it anymore. Uh, and we'll see what the Biden administration is going to do soon on that. So. China could fix this pretty quickly if they wanted to. They really could. There's no, 
The, the U.S. policymakers, the U.S. government doesn't want to keep China down. This isn't anything about keeping China down. What U.S. policymakers want is for China to play by the rules like pretty much everybody else does. If they did that, the trade war, quote unquote, would go away tomorrow. But they don't want to do that. So what would be some of the rules if China played by would allow the kind of relationship to go back? Well, there are really three or four main things, and they're all things that we could measure. Um, and this is one of the things that I thought the Trump administration should have done, but they didn't do. The number one is cyber theft. So we know how much intrusion the Chinese hackers have, most of them backed by the government, where they come into a major American corporation, they steal their patents and designs and all of those kinds of trade secrets using cyber means. That's number one. We need we we can tell the Chinese government, hey, when you stop doing that, we'll get back to normal. That's number one. Number two uh, is requiring technology transfer as a condition of market access. Now, the Chinese government says they don't do that. We all know they don't. We all know they do do it. They just don't they don't put it on paper. They're, they're not dumb enough to put it on a piece of paper. Once you put it on a piece of paper, it's against the law under the World Trade Organization. But they don't put it on paper, but they still do it. So no more forced technology transfer. And a third would be really cutting way, way back on these massive subsidies. So if you look, for example, at the semiconductor industry, an industry that China is weak in, uh, they're putting in uh, anywhere between 100 to $150 billion dollars of government money into one industry. Uh, the, the think tank CSIS came out with a report uh, about two weeks ago comparing Chinese subsidies to pretty much everybody else uh, on a per GDP basis. China is 10 times higher than everybody else. So they need to get, they need to just stop that, bring it way, way down. If they did those three main things, uh, I believe we could start to have a conversation about coming back to some kind of normal trading relationship. And so going forward, what can the U.S. do to kind of maintain the lead without kind of compromising their own morals and things? What can the U.S. do? So we've got to do two main things. One is uh, we need to pass this competitiveness legislation now that's in the House and the Senate, ideally the Senate version, because it's much better than the House version. And we can't then go, OK, well, we passed that. Well, let's, let's move on to other things. We've got to keep at it year after year after year. What's next? What are we missing? What do we need to do next? Uh, we can't take our eye off the ball of rebuilding and, and strengthening U.S. advanced technology competitors. It's just we're going to have to do that for the next 25 years minimum. But we also have to work with our allies to limit the ability of China to gain advantage by unfair means. Um, and there are lots of ways China does that. For example, I would I would have an agreement with our allies to say that we will never, ever buy a, um, a COMAC plane just never going to buy it, no matter what, no matter how cheap you can make it, because COMAC planes are illegitimate. They're subsidized. They're, they're, they're not the result of anything related to the market. You could say the same thing about Huawei uh, telecom equipment. Huawei's received over $700 billion, sorry, excuse me, over $70 billion in subsidies from the government. The original technology from Huawei was based upon foreign technology that was forced to be transferred. Why do we allow that? Why do we say, hey, it's okay if you do that? Same thing with high-speed rail. Uh, high, their, their entire high-speed rail industry was based upon forced technology transfer from the Japanese and the Germans. Why do we allow 
uh, governments to buy uh, or, or industry, uh, companies to buy Chinese high-speed rail. We should just say, no, you, you gained that illegitimately. You gained it unfairly. We're not going to reward you because of that behavior. So we need to start doing that. That's going to be a big lift. Um, not very few people are really thinking about that, but that's what I think we have to start to do. And Dr. Atkinson, any last words you'd like to add? Well, I think the, the last words would be, it's easy for the average person to not really think about this because people don't see it. People who might see it, if the factory they're working in closes, then it's very real, very painful to them and the community. But by and large, most, most Americans don't think about this too much. And yet, what made America the most powerful country in the world, the richest country in the world, was because we were leading in advanced industries. And we're no longer doing that. And if we can't get that back, then I really worry for the country's future. So we just need to buckle up and really put our mind to it and continue to do what hopefully what Congress is going to do soon. Dr. Atkinson, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you on the show. Thanks a lot. My pleasure. That was Dr. Robert Atkinson, president of the Information Technology and Innovation Foundation. And joining us after the break, John Pelson, author of Wireless Wars, China's Dangerous Domination of 5G and How We're Fighting Back. He touches on how free trade ties into geopolitics and how this could play out going forward. That and more in just a minute here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Joining us now, John Pelson, author of Wireless Wars, China's Dangerous Domination of 5G and How We're Fighting Back. He touches on how free trade ties into geopolitics and how this could play out going forward. Let's dive in. John, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show. Nice to be here again, Tiffany. So it seems lately there's a lot of focus on the two biggest world powers right now, right? The U.S. and China. So especially in terms of global trade and competition, how are these two countries shaping up? Well, you know, it's a funny thing here. I'm a big believer in, in kind of the liberal worldview that trade is good. Uh, if someone's selling something that you want to buy, uh, then then it's it's worth doing. It's, it's uh, as the saying goes that it's it's unilateral. If either party wants to do the trade, you don't care about the other party. So if China's been selling cheap stuff to the U.S., that's great. We get lots of cheap stuff. Our consumers get to buy things. We don't spend a lot of money. But that only holds if this is a trading partner, not a rival. If it's a competitor, it's okay. If it's a business competitor, it's okay. The whole difference is that with China, it's finally becoming clear in this country that this is not a trading partner. This is not a business competitor. This is a global rival for power. And so while we've had all these benefits from our trade with China, and you can't deny them, a lot of very cheap inputs, a lot of uh, inexpensive and, and good finished products, we haven't ended up where we would say with Japan or Germany or Korea, but we're actually now in a compromised position because their goal wasn't to have robust, healthy trade and for everyone to get wealthy, their goal has been to get a, a political power over us and, and use their trade to do that. That's really the whole essence of wireless wars uh, was that this is not a business conflict we're in with China. This is a, a 
geopolitical dispute that we're that we're waging with them. John, it seems, you know, China kind of well, there's the neoliberalism view that, you know, global trade is great, cooperation is great, everyone wins. But when it comes to China, it seems kind of China wins twice, whereas the US is losing. So why is that? It's funny, they keep using the expression, it's a win-win transaction. Uh, they like to use that term. And you know they're, they're protesting too much on that because all business, all voluntary exchange is win-win because no one, two parties won't engage in a trade unless both sides feel they're winning. But again, the difference here is that in, in trade, the measurement of success is, is absolute. If I get richer because of the trade, I don't care what happens with you. If you get even richer than I did on this, it doesn't matter. But in war, everything is relative. I talk about this in the book. If you're in, in a war situation, not only don't you have to get richer for it to be a good transaction, you're willing to get poorer. That's like the essence of war is you say, we're going to spend a you know, billion dollars to build this group, all this these artillery shells, and then we're just going to blow them all up. What a waste. We're going to be a billion dollars poorer, but we're going to try and blow up $20 billion worth of your stuff. So we're poorer, but you're even poorer than we are. We got relatively more powerful. It is such an odd thing. Americans, and I think the free world in general, has been looking at China through the, the, that other model of saying, as long as I'm coming out ahead of where I used to be, I'm happy. China's looking at it as saying, we need to come out ahead of you. You have to get down for us to get up. It's, it's, it's what you might expect a communist ideology to, to hold when it comes to a capitalist transaction. They don't really, really get it that everyone can win, that the poor can get richer and the rich can get even richer. And that can, you know, that can cause social stability, but it it's, raises the wealth and the quality of life for everybody. China seems to really have this idea that others have to lose for them to win because it's more of a war than a business transaction. And so, John, you brought up earlier kind of China's unrestricted warfare, if you will, where they're fighting in a way that might not be that obvious, for instance, with Huawei undercutting all the competition. And so it seems in terms of tech, there's a tech race right now, right? And so some countries and companies and people are like, oh, it's fantastic. You want all this collaboration. But especially in the U.S., there's a lot of intellectual property theft happening by China. I think the FBI has over 2,000 open cases, right? So that's hundreds per field office. So how would you balance that? Where on one side, you want the collaboration, but on the other side, there's all this intellectual property theft that's happening. They have to bring the hammer down on the intellectual property theft uh, the way it's been done is companies are allowed to kind of step back from from China. I saw that with with Lucent, where there were three spies who stole um, uh, the software, the 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 um, really the crown jewels for a, a, a switch that Lucent was making. And I, I talk about this in the book. The CEO of Lucent said we could have pressed for these three low level people to go to jail, but China said to us, uh, if, you pr if you cooperate in this prosecution, you won't be able to sell to China for a year, which would have been a billion dollar loss to a company that was just hanging on. I think what we have to do is have the government step in and say, forget that. You guys were stealing this IP. Your company in China is banned, and all the companies in the free world will not do business with you. It has to be much firmer, saying, if you get caught, you know, they stole from Cisco. Uh, uh, Cisco alleged, 
And they found the, the same wording in the manual. They found the same software in the servers that Cisco was making as in the Huawei servers. Uh, Chairman Ron Zhengfei was confronted by this, the, literally the same typos in the product manual, and he said it's a coincidence. Uh, they settled. Cisco settled with them because they said, we still want access to the Chinese market. We still got to do business in this world. And China ended up wiping out Cisco's market share with that product in, in that market. I think the government has to say, we're not going to even let you settle. We're not going to let you have that, that kind of easygoing way because this is a matter of national security. And we have to bring the hammer down on intellectual property theft from China and on hacking. We keep finding their advanced persistent threat teams doing incredible damage here, and there seem to be almost no consequences. And so from a business perspective, they might be like, well, if I don't do business with China, someone else will and get that cheap labor, all that money. So what would be an incentive that maybe Congress could offer these companies to then not do business with China? Is there a way? Yeah, you know, that is one of the toughest questions because I talk about this, if, if Lucent, if Nortel, Motorola had not moved its manufacturing to China in the 90s and shared their IP, which was the rule, and taken joint ventures in every transaction, uh, they would have protected their IP from China. But if Nokia and Ericsson or Siemens or Alcatel had moved to China, they would have put Lucent out of business in a year because the American vendors, the customers like Verizon would have said, you know, Lucent, we love that you're making it in Shreveport, Louisiana. We love that you're using the Oklahoma factory, that you didn't shut it down. But, you know, Nort, but Nokia, who we love and we trust, and it's a NATO, you know, not NATO, uh, but it's a, it's a friendly country, uh, they're selling it at 30 cents on the dollar. And so we're not going to buy anything from you. And, and it's because Nokia is making it in China and cooperating. So one way or the other, it, it, it's... This was the brilliance of the Chinese approach. They said the greed in the American and the Western companies will lead them to undercut each other. They'll all rush to do business in our country. And they were right. And that's exactly what happened. And as a result, everyone had to go into the country to manufacture and to do their R&D. Everyone needed to sell into the Chinese market to have uh, you know, a decent share. And uh, they compromised the entire telecom industry and they've been doing it across the board everywhere they can. They haven't been able to close the trap on, on chip design or on AI, but you know, God knows they've been trying. If China were to get that edge and gain the lead, what would that mean in terms of U.S. national security? Well, <clears throat> I, uh, I was talking to someone uh, in the healthcare profession who had just moved here, actually moved here some years ago from Shanghai. And she was a very patriotic American. And she, uh, she actually was talking to me about the book. She knew, knew about uh, the book. And she said, uh, do you ever get worried about China, like following what you're doing and so on? I said, oh, I'm, I'm sure they do. She said, I'm afraid to say things here in the country because I still have a brother and family that live in Shanghai. And uh, I told her, you know, that's that's... I wish I could tell you you're being paranoid, but you're not. This is actually wise because China is absolutely looking at it, what its citizens do abroad. Uh, I said, if you still have your WeChat account, she kind of turned a little red. She was embarrassed. She goes, I, I still have my WeChat account. I said, OK, they're reading and watching and listening to everything you do. Uh, your brother is at risk if they think you're a, a threat. 
So look at that situation. Imagine now if America, all of America were subject to that kind of tyranny. Look at what China does to its citizens at home. Look, look what it does to them abroad. And imagine if it had the kind of power to do that to other free countries and citizens in free countries. It's a frightening thought. People that don't like big government. Uh, you look at the, the far right in the US, I get it. But at least this is the US government that they're worried about. And it's not a, a, an authoritarian or totalitarian regime that really seems to have no concern for, for life or liberty. And that would be, I really don't think I'm exaggerating to say that becomes what we start to risk if China starts to have that kind of power over us. John, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you on the show. It was great being here, Tiffany. That was John Pelson, author of Wireless Wars, China's Dangerous Domination of 5G and How We're Fighting Back. And in the first half, we heard from Dr. Robert Atkinson, president of the Information Technology and Innovation Foundation. Thanks for watching China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer, and see you soon.